0: Yeah, just go out and help enough people just, just do this and or just take your skills and turn that into a business and people are floundering they just don't know what to do how to package themselves and how to actually communicate it so somebody wants to buy from you look into his eyes they're the eyes of a man obsessed by
1: success
0: eyes that block our sacred institutions call them in a bygone day. Sex desire is the most powerful of human desires. When driven by this desire, men develop keenness of imagination, courage, willpower, persistence, and creative ability unknown to them at other times. So strong and impelling is this desire for sexual contact that men freely run the risk of life and reputation to indulge in. When harnessed and redirected along other lines, This motivating force maintains all of its attributes of keenness of imagination, courage, etc., which may be used as powerful creative forces in literature, art, or in any other profession or calling, including, of course, the accumulation of riches. Napoleon Hill
1: This is Michelle Nedluck, and I am super glad that you're here with us today because I am here with my most amazing guest, Steve. Steve, thank you so much for being with us here today.
0: It's a very lovely good morning, 4.30 in the morning from Sydney, downtown Australia.
1: We are getting it up down under, people. This is going to be awesome. So give everybody, we've been having fun before the call, but give everybody the 5,000 foot view of who you are and what you love to do.
0: 5,000 foot view. Well, well, currently we're treading water because we're expecting flooding today <laughs> here where we are. So uh, that's that part of it. But the 5,000 foot view is long story, very, very short. Um, I really fell into being an entrepreneur by accident. And, and that was a physical accident. I was actually <laughs> training for the Olympics, crashed three discs in my back. Uh, you can't run real good with a crook back. So um, I was in rehab and I thought, hmm fitness industry i think i could do this and i think i could do it better so i was a pretty brash cocky young kid then i set out to take on the world and lo and behold within a very short period of time i was doing a bigger and better and franchised a kids club into five countries and a weight loss program into two and not really knowing what i was doing i was fairly successful but then i went back and had a look i thought hmm so that's how i did it and most recently i've been helping entrepreneurs, business owners, professionals, etc. around the world. I've actually had the pleasure and fun of uh, speaking live back when we used to be able to do it then live in uh, over 15 countries to 65,000 business people, helping them stand out in their marketplace. And here's kicking it off. Uh, My first book was actually called Stand Up, Stand Out or Stand Aside. It was originally going to be taught, titled in a very Aussie way, be different or bugger off. But,
1: um, <laughs> what? The publisher didn't yeah. let you get away with that one.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, my, my wife was an Amazon publisher and said, no, you can't do that and I thought, I bugger. <laughs> so it was stand up, stand out or Stand aside and that's what I've been helping people do.
1: Oh, that sounds awesome. 65,000 people,
0: that is a lot of people. It, that is a lot of people. And, and interestingly enough, um, one of my first gigs in Brazil and I, I, fantastically, I learned two major words in Brazil when I first went there, I, I had a great interpreter and it was, Bragado, cerveza, which was thank you. Pia.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got the cerveza one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And,
0: you know, I, I turned up at a fitness conference there and, and helping, you know, people get their business and everything going. And I thought a normal fitness conference in the middle of Brazil, it was going to be tiny. Ten thousand crazy people jammed into this one awesome town that was a cross between well, where I stayed was across between um, the Great Gatsby and Faulty Towers. <laughs> Alrighty then. It was a gorgeous Beautiful gorgeous, beautiful hotel and everything was run on a piece of paper. I was like, man, this was, it was a crazy experience. But yeah, you, you rack up a few numbers when you got, you know, multi thousands. And you got
1: 10,000 are- in an arena. Yeah. So yeah. tell me what it was like, cause that's super fun. I know I have not spoken in front of 10,000 people before, but I have spoken in an arena before and the, the echo in the, okay, say three words and stop and say three words and stop, how do you get through an entire hour of that?
0: Well, add in an interpreter, you say (laughs) a sentence or half a sentence and then wait for them to say what it was. But the interesting thing was, and I was a fair bit younger and um, single, and my gig was, I would- Look look around, check
1: out the audience.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I would look, look around, check for the cutest girls that laughed at my jokes well, Not the interpreters, Jack, because then at least right. I knew they spoke English.
1: Smart. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So, so, so seriously though, what was the? Um, and this was one of your first gigs. Uh, that
0: was that was a medium-sized gig in in the main fitness industry. Medium-sized. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> medium-term gigs, probably. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the fitness industry just focusing on that. Mm-hmm. Then I exited. Um, I actually, <laughs> here's a funny one as well. Mm-hmm. I exited from the fitness industry as indoor smoking bans came in. And that caused an environmental problem. And I'm very, very environmentally conscious. And there were cigarette butts everywhere. And it's this one thing that, that when an incident happens, it switches on your reticular activator system. And I was walking... past my house. And all of a sudden this car goes past, pulls up at the traffic lights and throws a cigarette butt out the window. And it was virtually my feet. I was going to pick it up and throw it back in. And I saw this lady that was sitting there dressed in a a nylon dress or or something. And I thought, well, you're going to go up in flames and I'm going to go to jail. That's not going to do anything. And then I saw butts everywhere. And I thought, I had to do something about it. So I actually invented a a portable personal ashtray i thought well stuff it you should carry it and those who are listening to this on audio i'm actually holding up a what's called a butts out it's a flip top personal ashtray in the shape of a bum a human bum <laughs> um and called the butts out and lo and behold putting so all if you don't marks- know where
1: to stick it you do now <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah yeah so we and this is going to be really a good, fun discussion. <laughs> so we built it backed on, based on humour and human mm-hmm. engagement, not alienating smokers. So mm-hmm. smokers actually loved it. It was fun. It was engaging. And we sold 4 million into 26 countries. Nice. Uh, my my friends awesome. were sort of, they weren't laughing at me. They were saying, Steve, you've spent 20 years in the fitness industry, but you're making a million dollars from smokers. And I said, yeah, go figure. I'm cleaning up. Yeah. <laughs> cleaning up. <laughs> but you're, you're Canadian. And I'm Australian. We're, we're supposed to have broad sense of humour and the POMs are supposed to be very, very staid. They, I don't know whether it's a word or not, they outsmuttied us. What? The, yeah, well, they had a, an award-winning campaign in this one city and they had three smokers on a poster that were naked from the waist down and the tagline with them putting their butts out at the bus stop into the uh, putting their cigarette into the butts out was I never leave home without my butts out as in their bum out. Uh-huh. The next year they bought 10,000 hot pink butts out personal ashtrays and they had a big campaign and the personal ashtrays were given out to smokers by drag queens. <laughs> And the tagline was "Don't be a drag. Put your fag in here." In <laughs> a bunch of ch-
1: um, yeah. buttless chaps.
0: <laughs> yeah, and they they won a global environmental campaign reducing butt litter by seventy percent. Wow! Because it was memorable. Oh well, yeah. Like yeah, which is quite topical because um, I don't know whether you know much about it. We got a very um, I think it was the LGTBI, the gay and lesbian Mardi Gras is on here in Sydney. And, um, yeah, they, they bought 10,000 butts outs for the whole Mardi Gras um, one year. <laughs> That's
1: awesome. So are and, and you still a, selling them?
0: Um, no, no, no. We, we actually sold the company many, many years ago. We, we saw there was a need. We got in. We built it up. But we also then saw that um, external fixtures were catching up. Mm-hmm. And we knew there was going to be a decline for the need for personal ashtrays because external fixtures were were coming in. So it was a it was a great um very Perfect lucrative timing. um yeah, very lucrative five-year business.
1: Nice. So let's go back to the from conception to manufacturing, because I am fascinated by that whole process. And um and the whole notion of when an idea hits, take it because mm nothing is more annoying than having a great idea and then seeing somebody else have produced it.
0: (laughs) Well, it was so funny that once we had it produced, I I think there was about seven or eight people that I knew. Yeah. I I had an idea for something like that. Not exactly the bum, but yeah, I I thought of something like that. And I don't know whether you remember it or not, but the, the movie dumb and dumber.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. The, the last two minutes of that movie is is very profound and probably the only intelligent thing of the whole movie, but it was a very (laughs) very funny movie. But if you remember, the two guys are walking down after they've had this experience and virtually lost everything and and they're walking along and this bus pulls up full of girls in bikinis and they get out Swedish girls and say, hey, we're looking for two guys to oil us down where we're strippers or bikini models or whatever and one of them said, hey, you're know, in luck, there's a town that way. And the guys then, as the bus drove off, they said, well, you're stupid, aren't you? And he hits him across the back of the head and he runs off. He bashes on the door and says, I'm sorry, my friend's a bit silly, the town's that way. And the, they look at each other, the girls, and think these guys are idiots. <laughs> and off the bus drives and they said, yeah, there's gonna be two lucky guys that are gonna be oiling them, oiling them down. I wonder when we're going to get our break. He said, we've just got to keep our eyes open.
1: (laughs) Right. And Can't tell you how often that actually happens in real life. (laughs) And and that
0: is absolutely the case. There's, There's so many people that are just blinkers on focused on doing and doing and doing, and don't see opportunities that are one step sideways. And uh you know, I thought I invented the first ever personal ashtray and all I was doing was inventing a personal ashtray. My, my mate who became a business partner was consulting in the industry and he said, no, they've been around for years. So instead of just slamming the door, you know, I, I thought I threw that into my brain. I thought, what, 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 what could be different? Why?" And I woke up one night thinking, but, but. What if i built one with a bum on it what if i built what if we built the whole thing around the the double meaning of the word but what? and then i had to get somebody to take what was in my head and design it and then i took that to my mate and then we actually got investors pre pre any prototypes we had seven slides a lot of enthusiasm and a great idea and got enough money to start the company
1: that's awesome so were you was it people that were already in the industry that you were proposing this to or just buddies that you used to know or
0: no 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 they're, they're actually people that were in the, in the industry and contributors to the problem mm-hmm. and we put to them a, an environmental and uh, a social benefit for them that and hits. it it worked. And that's that's what's launched the whole thing. And and it was a good it's a fantastic lesson from concept to creation to organizing the manufacturing, then to organizing the distribution, and then having companies in different countries and having agents in different countries. I mean, you know, from thinking of a stupid idea to having a global business in, you know just on 18 months wow it was, it was a hell of a, a hell of a learning curve and and again it was people who knew people in networks and leveraging other people's skills is the way that we we built it I, I'm the creative crazy person I was the marketing guy and my business partner was a professor a doctor of um, psychology and human behavior and, and it's a great lesson for people because and I use it as a part of my, my marketing is we didn't, the reason we became so successful, we didn't sell the personal ashtray. We sold the solution. We were driving to our first ever presentation for, for a city council. And we thought we'd sell a few hundred. And then on the way I said, what if we sell programs? What if we sell solutions? What if we sold what they needed not just the pieces so you know he's on the laptop i'm driving and um we created some programs that you know had t-shirts and posters and how to reduce cigarette butt litter sold the program not the pieces and we sold 10 times the amount on our first presentation and then we thought we were going to and that's where so many people go wrong they sell the pieces of what they do They don't sell the outcomes and the
1: benefits that people want to pay for. I love that, and it it seems so simple. (laughs) But I'm sure, in the moment, you're like, "Well, clearly you knew what the problem was because the problem was what was literally at your feet when you decided to come up with the solution." And yet, so now that you have the solution, you're like, "Well, how do we come up with what? What's the actual purpose of this, and and what is that solution?" And it it never ceases to amaze me how the human mind works and how that step from what you started, what you saw and started to creating the solution. And all you had to do is go back to it. And yet we don't, it seems so hard for us most of the time to go back to what that solution is in order to sell that whole package.
0: Yeah. And the people that I get to work with uh, is, is basically what I do and for a lot of your people out there listening, they're really good at what they do. They're ingrained in what they do. And they think that if they get better at what they do, their business is going to grow. And one of the things that I learned very early on is you need to step up and become the leader and the authority. And, This was a a brilliant example of, we actually became global leaders within about six to nine months of us starting the business. Now, were we the best and number one environmentalist in the world? No, were we the best at recycling in the world? No, we were the people that created cigarette butt litter reduction campaigns that actually engaged the smokers. There was a bit of science behind it because Vince had the human behavior I had the marketing and engagement, we put them together, we created something that was uniquely ours. And that's the big thing, uniquely ours. And then all of a sudden we were getting invitations to speak in lots of crazy places. So if we get a little serious about this is like, do something, do it well, do it a little differently, create something and own it. And you just have to be the owner and the authority of that. And you could become, a leader
1: i love that so would you say that it was just sheer tenacity or enthusiasm that got you through all of that because i'm sure there was a few more struggles and issues because there always is
0: <laughs> well yeah um yeah it, it, it's absolute total belief total belief in yourself and total belief in in doing it now we could have you know Getting manufacturing started here in Australia, particularly um, injection moulding, is not cheap. And we're, we're talking six figures before you even start to get in the game. And, you know, we didn't have that sitting in our back pocket. We weren't guaranteed. We were producing a plastic bum.
1: <laughs> not an <ass-train. laughs> yeah,
0: to put Yeah, you know, to, to solve an environmental problem. And... It was it was just it was crazy. So the things that we did, there was there was nights that we just had to get things out that our manufacturing couldn't keep up. So that we're putting bottoms and lids together and creating this and packaging that and doing all sorts of things. There's stuff that you have to do to get things off the ground. And that's what we did. And then it was know obviously there was a chance meeting that we met somebody who knew somebody who was an australian who had a chinese manufacturing plant and said well we could do this cheaper and then yeah there were so many different things that if you knock on enough doors yeah what is it the harder you work the luckier you get well that that's what happened people who knew people and you know some and vince knew my business partner knew somebody in the uk he was bored of what he was doing said "Well." I'll run UK Europe for you. So he worked with us, become a business partner for five years. And then yeah, if you put yourself out there enough, people will find you. And that's the thing. Uh, too many people wait. You just got to keep going and knocking on doors.
1: Was there anything at any point in time that threatened your success, whether it was running out of manufacturing money or somebody wanting to take over the company or?
0: Yeah, we had a competitor come somebody who was already in plastics and manufacturing. Um, he would invented something else and was well in the game and he wanted to come and buy some office. He said, I can manufacture them just as cheap, if not cheaper. So he came out, almost copied the design to a T. It was, we thought we had protected us legally with a, a registered design, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, we went back to our ip lawyer and said well hey look he's copying the look and the feel even though his is a little different and he said well sure you can take him to court it probably cost you 100 grand to go to court he hasn't made anything yet if you want to waste 100 grand and so we outmarketed him uh in the beginning and then sold the company to him
1: nice so like I well hey listen
0: there's <laughs> you know we're in well yeah there. you can you get
1: to- a lot of marketing for 100 grand
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we just, we just did that. nice. And yeah. And said, well, do you want our database? Do you want our consumers? Do you want this? Do you want that? Do you want the name? And he said, yeah. So we organized the deal and
1: we happily left and went on to other things. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So in that moment, I just want to get in your head at that moment, not giving you head, just getting in your head, the, That idea or notion of, well, shit, this guy is clearly better positioned than we are. They've clearly got the things in place that he could just take this and go. What was it internally that made you decide, like, I'm just not putting energy towards that. I'm putting energy towards this. Or, like, what was actually going on in your head to say, rock and roll, let's go. Let's take on this.
0: Yeah, the... The opportunity to be the first to be unique and we could see the future. We were very, very successful for the time that we were because all of a sudden governments came in and enacted an indoor smoking ban. They didn't think about it, which was, gee, the the governments. And they didn't realise that if the smokers go outside and there's no bins to put them in, they're going to end up on the ground. So over the five to six years, it took them that long to realise that, gee, they're going to go outside and smoke anyway. They're not going to stop smoking. There's going to be butts on the ground. What if we actually put some bins around that were specific uh, retrofitted to have cigarette butt bits to them? So they were starting to come in and we could see that, okay, smokers are not going to want to carry these things if they could stand and just put them in a bin. So we knew that the demand for what we had was going to start reducing. And before it actually got to a point where the demand had dropped enough that the company wasn't valuable, we sold it just off the peak. Nice. And we had other things to do. I mean, it was a fun thing for five or six years. It (laughs) was, it was... That's what happens when
1: you're innovative and you got you're full of ideas. It's like, okay, I'm bored. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: and we were, we were, yeah, sick of, yeah, hanging out with hairy armpitted tree huggers, um, (laughs) uh, who wanted us to be a charity. And the crazy thing was, is, but you're not a not-for-profit. And I said, no. What about the people who collected garbage every morning? Do they get paid, or are they doing doing it out of the goodness of their heart? So it was all of those sorts of things that uh, we'd had enough of and we'd had um, enough other exciting opportunities landing at our doorstep.
1: Well, and I love your ability to be able to get into the eyes of the consumer and see what the next step is. Cause again, so many people have issues with that, that they just think it's going to kind of carry on forever. And that this is the way it is now because they get used to that reality. Um, Before we step into your next reality though, i had to laugh because around that same time i think we were in amsterdam and i thought it was hilarious that it was illegal or against the bylaws to smoke inside so all the smokers went outside but it was illegal to smoke pot outside so you could only do it in private restaurants and facilities so inside it smelt like pot and outside it smelled like tobacco i'm like somebody hasn't thought this through i don't think
0: uh, <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: And, and that's
0: <laughs> that's what happens with businesses they're so blinkered
1: mm.
0: on doing the doing that they don't see well if i just change this one little bit and and it was it was interesting that what you said is is thinking about the consumer first and where i'm at today is where i'm working very successfully with people in their sales and helping people sell is all from understanding how people buy where most sales trainers are really focused on how to sell better and I'm actually just started yesterday writing a new back pocket guide the art of selling yourself for more without selling your soul and it's all about because you know we get to meet on networking meetings and people know people and the amount of people that get on there and they start with I I just want to help people do this, I just want to do this. And they don't know what they deliver the people. I just want to do this. And it's like, I, I just want to sell this. And all they have to do is turn around, and it's like, but what do the people actually want to buy? What do they want from you? And it, it's it's a really interesting thing because there's so many people that have just been told, go out and do your purpose and everything else will take care of itself. Yeah, just go out and help enough people. Just just do this, and or just take your skills and turn that into a business. And people are floundering; they just don't know what to do, how to package themselves, and how to actually communicate it. So somebody wants to buy from you. So it's it's um, it, it's the last. Well, it's the current journey that I'm I'm on right now.
1: Nice. So talk to me about how you work with somebody and how you kind of carry them on that through that journey, because I think it is a, like what seems to be really innate to you is extremely difficult for most people.
0: Yeah. I work with accountants and uh, other people that are highly qualified and exceptional professionals. And I tell them, well, don't ever get me to do what you do. And I don't ever expect you to do what I do. I've really worked out that I'm really good at a confined set of skills and that's what I stick to. And the more refined I've made that and the more confined I've made that, the more successful I've been where, where some people say, well, I, I better tell people I can do all of this stuff. Whereas uh, I guess the ability that I have is to really jump into the head and the heart and look at what people do. And then also know how people want to buy and draw the line in between. And I've I've got this uh, saying, are you communicating coal or diamonds? And most people are communicating coal. It's quite prevalent. It's bloody ugly. Uh, But it gives off a bit of heat in the end. That's coal. Diamonds, when cut, they're immediately attractive. They're perceived high value and virtually indestructible. And when you communicate right, that's how your communication should be. But the truth is they're both basically just carbon. One has just had a little bit more heat and pressure put on it. And that's what I tell people. It's like, well, let's get a lot more heat and pressure. But that's that's the thing. It's like, well, most people just waffle and sort of get there in the end if they're prodded with enough questions. But when... You know, I've got a, a format that I go through to really deep down and just rip apart what is it that you do or have done different or how we communicate it in a way that people think, damn, I want to work with that person. And it's not that they have to change what they do, they have to change, Yeah, you know, their, well, I talk about you know, their positioning, their packaging and put it out there in a way that people, are attracted to them.
1: Well, and I love the analogy of the diamond because I think so many entrepreneurs are so reluctant to go under that heat and pressure in order mm. to come up with something good. They're like, well, I'm I'm just an accountant. I do accounting. I do their taxes.
0: And it's yeah, like, oh dear my...
1: God, nobody's buying that.
0: <laughs> yeah, in my I, first I... book, yeah, sorry, go on. No, carry on. Yeah, in my first book, one of the first parts of that is is stand up. Now, a lot of people, just like a meerkat, would stick their head up and have a look around and pull it back in again because it's easy. But if you've been sitting down for long enough and you stand up and you go to move, there's a little bit of pain in that. And when you stand up, you put yourself out there to be picked on, ridiculed. And that's why it is stand up and then stand out or stand aside. But if you just want to stick your head up and have a little bit of a test of the water. When you stand out in a marketplace, people are going to have a go at you. You know, How dare you? And you've got to think to yourself, you know, am, am I being the imposter? But as long as you are true to your own uniqueness, then, then you're right. You own, everybody's got a PhD on their life. No one else could own their life. So what is it that you actually do differently that yeah, you know, you can help people. And I create what I call blueprints. They're visual schematics that are a collaboration tool that show people that you've got a system for their outcomes and their, the value that you deliver. Not a system on how you deliver things, not your schematic of this is how I work. This is how we work together. And the value of this was way back I think over 10 years ago when I was first doing it and I was doing masterminds and I did one with a, a group in a different state. And there was a probably just a very early 20 year old female. She was of Muslim faith and had the head piece on and she was trying to help women of her own nationality and faith interact and integrate into society she had life coaching to help women do that, but she'd not been able to sell it. She was just giving it away at this point of time. And we said, well, look, this is the positioning, the packaging, and you know, we're going to create your blueprints. She said, oh, Steve, this is amazing. I can actually communicate how I work with people and what they're going to get out of it. And then we went through the afternoon was how you sell from it. She said, oh, this is so empowering. I don't have to sell myself. I've got this. By the time I got off the plane flying home, I got a message on my phone basically telling me that she had sold two full price coaching programs using a hand-drawn, scribbled blueprint. And, And that's what people don't get. Having a tool to collaborate with people showing the outcomes of what they're going to do instead of saying hey, this is my process. I'm excited about what I do. Let me talk about what I do. And people get bored and glazed over and say, well, the same as everyone else.
1: I love that. I think it comes back to entrepreneurs don't realize how important it is for people to see that there is a, a, a journey that you're going to take them on and that there are milestones on that journey. And kind of what they're looking forward to. And psychologically it is so important that just by having that, you're almost, almost guaranteed the sale because if it's the right fit for somebody, they see the trajectory that you're taking them on. They know they want to go on it. And it's like, okay, done deal, you're you're the person for me. This is the way it is. Because the map that you're creating for them outside matches the, the I want to say inexplicable, but the the map inside of them that they haven't been able to articulate themselves.
0: Well, yeah, there's two people, there's two cars. You go up to one person and say, where are we going? Hey, trust me, I'm a good driver. I've got a really good route. Or you go up to the next car and say, hey, here's the route. Here's what we're going to see. Here's what we're going to have fun doing. And you are going to get to here, which is damn awesome, when we get to the end. What car are you going to get in?
1: Second one. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Every time.
0: Yeah, you, you trust somebody. People will pay more for the system than per hours. And coaches, professionals hate selling themselves. Mm-hmm. They hate, they'll say, I can sell somebody else 10 times better. I can sell something else 10 times better. But when you have the blueprint, when you have the system, when you have something that's schematic in front where you work together mm-hmm. to identify, and this is a big, big thing where people really, I believe, stuff up. They're selling the box value. The box value is basically, well, you're going to get X number of hours, you're going to get X bits and pieces, and here's all the stuff that goes into me working with you, versus the implementable value. What would it mean if we did this? What would that mean to your business in time saving, money saving, money made? And then that's the the implementable value. When you can demonstrate implementable values far significantly, greater than the actual investment they're going to pay then you've really got the sale and say well this is what i'm going to put in your pocket versus this is what i'm going to take out of your pocket and that's what what people focus on well you know you get this but wait there's more you get this and this and this and that's generally throwaway rubbish that people don't need versus hey when we work together we're going to deliver this and and that's the big big change. And when you've got, yeah, the blueprint, which looks like a one pager. And I always say, people, I'll I'll ask you the question, how, what's the best way to get somebody on the same page as you? Open the book. Well, you can open the book yet. (laughs) That's very close. Have a page to get on. There you go. So we get someone on the same page and you've got your blueprint, which you do write on, whether it's on the screen or whether it's sitting beside them then you're collaborating and you're seeing through your eyes, the numbers and the values that are adding up before you even get to the end of it, they'll mm-hmm. look at it and say, well, if we just do this, this is a good thing, we're gonna to work together on that, that's X thousand a month. I'm gonna save this time and I'm gonna make some extra money here and I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna have less stress here. All of that's adding up before you get to the end of it. all you say at the end of it and say, look, Michelle, by the look of it, if we put this system into your business, we're gonna make an extra X thousand per month and save this much time, it's gonna be a lot less stressful. And uh, does it make sense we get started? And I think most professionals can actually repeat that. It's like, mm-hmm. does it make sense we get started? Because all the values are in front of them. And it's a, it's a very powerful way for people to sell themselves without having to sell themselves.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I see so many coaches that say, well, I can do, you know, a lot of things for a lot of people. And it depends what we work on. And I'm like, okay, it's not up to them what you work on. It's up to you what you work on. And it's up to you what you articulate, you can divert after that, but you have to be able to tell that story up front." So you had mentioned, like a couple of things of, you know, people not getting the sales, or thinking that sales are slimy, or whatever, but what are some of the other stumbling blocks that somebody might be having and they're thinking, oh my God, Steve, I need you so bad right now.
0: (laughs) I've just finished writing this and rewriting this. Um, it's, It's come out of some of my other work and all the people that have just, and my wife has a real bug about this as well. People that are multi-millionaires that have gone through the grind and now they've gone back to live in the woo-woo world and then just say, go out there and live your purpose as they're multi-millionaires living in Costa Rica. Um, (laughs) I find it's a lot
1: easier to do when you have a net worth of over a million. (laughs) (laughs) And and they're talking about
0: purpose and everybody thinks it's, I've got to walk around and get struck by lightning and find out what my purpose is in life is, as if it's the one thing that I'm meant to be here. To me, purpose is different today than it is tomorrow or the day before, and I've broken it down. It is your ability to use your highest skills, which you are passionate about, to deliver great value to the people you want to work with and be well rewarded for. To be able to use your highest skills, I'm always... Excited when I'm stretched by my clients, using my higher skills to be able to deliver value for them and use my skills that I'm passionate about. Now, the chances are I'm really good at it because I love doing it. Therefore, that's how I got good at it. But it's delivering your higher skills that you're passionate about, deliver value to the people you want to work with, and get paid. I cannot think of a better purpose to be on this planet for.
1: Nice. Absolutely. So, w- talk to me about when somebody's kind of well, and I'm thinking if I backtrack, it's probably most effective if somebody's getting a hold of you before they start scaling, because <laughs> scaling a bad practice is probably a bad idea. So, at what point do you love to have people come to you so that it's most effective for them?
0: And, and I'm biting my tongue trying to stop at any stage because <laughs> I never. I, I well, talk to people, me about the different stages then. Yeah, I, I tell people never say I help people with everything, and <laughs> I anytime. never say I help people at any stage. <laughs> One of the biggest things that people say that they get from working in the early stages with me is clarity and quite often they think they have to get everything right before they come to see me. Mm -hmm. It's better, well, quite often the people that I work with most successfully have a lot of pieces, a lot of successful pieces of the jigsaw floating around the table. They just need to pull them together. I used to um, have a program where I worked with startups to help them get absolute clarity on who they were and then refine it down and refine their communication. So I don't generally work with startups now, unless they're really on a trajectory of being serious. Uh, but a lot of people with just a good idea, I'll probably have a conversation with them and help them get clarity and, and then they can, they can go, they can come back when they're, they're down the track. Because there were probably thousands of people that thought of doing something about cigarette butt litter, but never really were invested in themselves. When, and, and often people have hit a plateau. Um, successful people and businesses have gotten far enough just by having a good product or service. And they, they need to know how to break through that next level, how to really communicate the next level of being their leader and authority, how to package themselves, how to position themselves and communicate that in a way. I generally tell people that I'm the bookend, uh, the bookend of making people look and sound and feel more attractive to their market, then hand them off to the traditional business coaches that helps them scale and the lead generators that drive traffic. And then I help them sell better on the back end. And that makes makes a massive difference, particularly for those who are the traffic generators, because if they're marketing what I call the brown box, they're spending a lot of marketing out there trying to market somebody the same as everybody else. And if they're trying to sell themselves the same as everybody else, it all falls apart. But if I can add the value at both ends, I make the people in the middle look like they're heroes.
1: Love that. And I can't, Express how much I love the notion of what you do and how you help people do it, because I don't do that with people. So by doing their tech for them, the old expression, garbage in, garbage out. But it's true because all you're doing when you scale something is you're scaling whatever they have, which means if if what they have isn't working, then you're doing a whole lot of it. And it's it's almost heartbreaking to go, hey, you got to go back and test this like you got to go back and figure out what what's actually going to work and what's going to attract people, because without that, um, all you're doing is throwing a whole lot of money at the wall or in the bonfire, as it were. And and you're not getting where you need to go. And I think it's super frustrating for people because they know they have something. But what, they're afraid to go to a coach or somebody else and say, "Hey, this is what I got, but I don't really know what it is, and I don't really know who it's for, and I don't really know what you know benefit they're going to get out of it." It's a really hard position for a coach to to go to somebody with that <laughs> basket of whatever yeah, you want to call it and go, "Here, fix me."
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing that I do do say and don't normally say it in public because people will take it the wrong way is I play nicely with other people's children (laughs) is I work well with other people's clients (laughs) and basically it's at times it doesn't make sense for a good business proposition that I work really well quite often on a short short term Mm with other people's clients. They may be the traffic generator, they may be the business coach that's, you know, doing all the right work and scanning. I work for, with a number of coaching organizations who freely send their people to me for short periods of time. It's mm-hmm. like, yep, yeah, we're building all the systems, we're building all this, we're, we're getting the traffic ready, but we need the quick makeover. We need, how do we make them more attractive and more compelling at the beginning And how do we help them sell better and be more comfortable at selling at the back end? And it just makes a a massive difference. It's really not only the icing on the cake, but the the hundreds and thousands and sprinkles and everything on top. And I do it in a way that make the people who sent them to me, look the hero because we just add such great value to what they're already doing. Love
1: it. So I know our listeners are going to want more from you. How did they start their journey with you?
0: I keep things simple. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my name is Steve Brossman. That's with two S's and a M-A-N at the end. They could find me on just about any social, well, no, I, I only restrict myself pretty well to Facebook and LinkedIn. They can, they can contact me on LinkedIn and they would actually go through a little journey of what I tell people that they need to do. They'll get a quick video from me. They'll get one of my latest back pocket guides, which is virtually a workshop in a book. They could do that. Steve at stevebrossman.com. I actually answer my own emails. What? Uh, Yeah, goodness. I actually do like talking to people. (laughs) Um, But one of the gifts for your people is is the gift, the back pocket guide to uh, virtual selling. And and that would help a lot of lot of people. And that just goes to stevebrossman.com forward slash BPG for back pocket guide VS virtual selling BPG VS. And I'm sure you're going to have it in the show notes. Absolutely. Uh, That's a gift. Now they could actually take that, and a lot of people do and implement that word implement. Come do something with it, please. Uh, implement what's in it. And if all you do is implement some of the things in there, you're going to get some results. Otherwise you can reach out and um, buy the email and we can have a call. And as you know, I get up at stupid hours to talk to people,
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm on Him. the other
0: side of the country next. I'm about to talk to uh, some good colleagues and business partners in Miami.
1: Nice. Well, I hate to break to you. See, I would stay li- up late for you, but I'm not waking up early for you. <laughs> You make me I'm breakfast, coffee, roller. you can do whatever you want. I am not getting up for that.
0: <laughs> uh, I, I love that, that what you're doing is, is having fun in business. And, and business is not meant to be stressful. Sometimes it is. And challenging, a, but not
1: stressful. How's that? Yeah,
0: yeah Challenging. Because there is always ways out. There's always really good, smart people at your fingertips that can help you. And this is an exciting age that we're in. We can have anything and anybody to help us with something at a couple of keystrokes. And my son left school probably a year and a half before most kids his age did. And he's he's a successful entrepreneur turning 18 now because Mm -hmm. he can learn and learnt more online about the specific things that he needed. And if your people are really good at their business and they've got pieces of their jigsaw floating around and they think, well, how do I stand out better in my marketplace or, or how do I sell better without having to to sell myself? Then the small narrow set of things that I could help them with are at their fingertips. And that's basically what I do and what they should do is look for the, the the small things that other people can help them with.
1: Nice, love that. So I normally would ask you at what point in life did you know you're a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur, but that was after you'd become a crazy Olympian with a broken back, Jesus. So No, well, I, 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 I,
0: it started earlier. Very, this is a 60-second... Tell tales. I, 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 we lived in the middle of the hunter valley which was you know an, an hour from the coast to go surfing um the girlfriend i had at the time sister's boyfriend made surfboards and said hey listen let's go surfing yeah how about i teach you how to make your own surfboard and i said yeah that'd be fun and then a lot of my mates wanted to get into surfing as well and i thought, oh we can make surfboards And then, so we started making surfboards and then I decided I didn't want to do the crazy shaping or fiberglassing and painting. So a couple of my mates were really good at that. And I sold the surfboards and they made them. And at 15, I had a surfboard making business at school.
1: Nice. So did that get you more money or more checks?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It, It was just very simple. I made, um, I basically made the money. They, they got paid well, of course. I looked after my mates. But uh, for a year and a half, we just made surfboards for our mates and had some really good pocket money. So it was, again, see an opportunity and see how you could leverage it.
1: I love that. Love it, love it. You have been amazing, Steve. I love spending time with you. can spend days with you. Uh, I appreciate your time immensely. I know it's valuable. So any last words for our peeps?
0: Yeah, the, the thing that, um, I think I was doing it before the, the famous MJ Michael Jordan said it, but there's one thing that I do all the time. Just elevate. Decide in the air. All
1: nice. right. Love it this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. I am your mistress in business, helping you get it up and keep it up. So we'd love having you around. Be sure to subscribe to the show and invite your friends if they're into this, you know, entrepreneurialism. We'll see you at the next show. Thank you for listening to the Little Blue Pill for Business podcast with your mistress in business, Michelle Nedelec. Why are you still here? Go to littlebluepillforbusiness.com and get your goodies. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to share it with somebody else that you know would enjoy getting it up in business after you subscribe to the podcast, of course, so you won't miss any future episodes. Now, check the notes for links Oh, and only tell your wife if she's into this, you know, entrepreneurship, and I'll see you both on the other side.